And a pleasant good morning to you wherever you may be, however you may be listening. This is indeed the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford, Tusk Street Farm Radio, streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org, wherever you may be, however you may be listening. Thank you for making this program part of your Wednesday morning. It's going to be a hot day here in Boston, temperatures going into the low 90s. But right now, the Red Sox, they are not looking so hot. I'm here to talk about it here with you. I'm here to help you, the listener, vent. Because let's face it, Red Sox Nation, you're mad. You're frustrated. I don't blame you one bit. You have every right to be upset. Based on what you've seen of this team as of late, and now that this team is home playing the first place Tampa Bay Rays in the American League East, Things are about to get real. You can call or leave a message at 855-915-WMFO, 855-915-9636. We're going to start the show talking about the Boston Red Sox. I mean, there's no other way to start the show than talking about the Boston Red Sox this morning because let's face it, a week ago, I mentioned and I talked about this at nauseum about how Heim Bloom is the one man that you should blame should the Red Sox begin to fall apart. Well, a week later, the Red Sox are coming off a horrid 10-game road trip in which they went 2-8. and eight. And if you saw Sunday's game, I mean, good God, that has to be the low mark of this 2021 Boston Red Sox season. You're up 7-2 going late into the game and your bullpen blows it. Gary Richards wasn't even remotely the Gary Richards that we saw early in the season. But goodness grief, seriously? Can we at least also talk about how the bullpen has absolutely failed them at times during this stretch. We talked about how the Red Sox, they need pitching help. We talked about the first base situation as well. And what we have seen now over this stretch, and then, oh, by the way, this stretch of baseball they're playing, they're below 500 in the last 23 games. This stretch that they've been in has been less than stellar. And this now ask a very important question that I'm going to ask to you this morning. And I really want you to honestly think about this. Is the Boston Red Sox overrated? Or were they really truly a good team? Are they overrated in a sense of were they playing above their capabilities? Or... Is this a really good team that has gone bad during the stretch? Because there's a difference. There's a difference between being overrated and a good team that has gone bad down the stretch. Overrated, meaning that this team was playing way above their heads. That the pitching was pitching above expectations. And even if you were going back to the beginning... Of the regular season. In the last show that I did before my hiatus. 
one of the big question marks that I had was about the pitching rotation. And during this season, the pitching, by and large part, had exceeded expectations. But here's the reality. Nathan Uvalde, he's come back to earth. Garrett Richards has come back to earth. Martin Perez, he may not even return to the rotation for the remainder of the season because of how bad he's been. And if I'm the Red Sox, you try to find a way to move on from Martin Perez at the end of this season because I don't see how, for the life of me, that you continue to stick with the guy that shows you that, hey, first eight starts, I'm as good as money. Woo! Then after that, clank. You're done. Like you, you just fall off the face of the earth. Like you forget how to pitch. Everything you throw looks like even a double-A hitter can hit. I'm in goodness grief. And then on top of that, the offense. The offense hasn't been terrible. The offense hasn't been the problem. But there have been games in which that the offense has failed to come through. The problems that runs with the Boston Red Sox are very deep. And I don't think it's as simple as Heim Bloom failed to address the needs of the team at the trade deadline. That's part of it. I wholeheartedly believe that. That's definitely a big part of it. But is it the main problem with this team right now? No. The main problem with this team is that the lack of mental toughness is showing right now. It's showing big time. It just seems like if this Red Sox team gets behind, they stay down. They don't find that second gear to say, hey, you know what? We can come back and we can win this. Whatever adversity comes, we can get back up and keep pushing forth. Because if you really think about it, prior to this stretch, prior to now, let's go back to the beginning of the first half or the entire first half of the regular season. Has the Red Sox really been tested? Not really. I mean, you go back to opening weekend, and my good friend Matt McCarthy of 98.5, the sports up yelling famously, get this team out of town. Other than that, has this team really gone through any sort of extended stretch of adversity? No. The answer to that is no. So what... I think it's happening is that what you're seeing is a team that has been tested and now they're failing. This isn't an Alice Cora issue. There is something very wrong with this club and this team and its mental makeup. And I think part of the problem is, is that they felt like Bloom didn't go out and get the help that the team needs and or that ownership did not believe in this, this year's club, which has led them in this downward spiral. And if that is truly the case, they got a bigger problem than the front office not making any sort of moves. I really do believe that. The bigger issue that I I would have if I were a Red Sox fan is how do you forget to hit? How do you forget to pitch? Because I want to go back and just 
just reflect on the entire Blue Jays series from this past weekend. They lost three out of four. Was offense the issue? Not really. Was pitching the issue? It surely could have been better. Was the bullpen the problem? A couple of games, yeah, it was. In fact, Saturday's first game of the doubleheader, yeah, it was a problem. After all, that home run, that walk-off home run that was allowed, that was rough. Talk about an absolute gut punch. And then Sunday, Matt Barnes, the guy who I believe is deserving of a lot of criticism now. Matt Barnes on Sunday was entrusted with a two-run lead in the eighth inning. And what does he do? He allows what turned out to be the winning three-run home run to George Springer in the bottom of the eighth inning. And what looked like to me a Joey Bautista, or should I say Jose Bautista, backflip moment in game five of the 2015 ALDS. That's what it felt like for the Blue Jays. That's how big that moment was. Because if you reflect on it, if the Red Sox win it on Sunday, they split the four-game series, will there still be concerns? Yeah, sure. But would the mood surrounding this team change? Maybe. But if you're the Toronto Blue Jays, if you win on Sunday, and which they did, they won on Sunday, they're feeling really good about themselves. But if they lose, concern and doubt begins to creep in. Even with the moves that they made at the trade deadline, acquiring Jose Berrios, the starting pitcher, and reliever Brad Hand. Even with those moves, had they lost on Sunday, doubt and question marks would have begun to seep in that clubhouse. But for the Boston Red Sox, where do you go from here, honestly? Where do you go from here if you are Alex Cora? And I'm sure that you are beginning to search for answers because this is not good. You got the Rays coming into town for three games this week and then the Orioles. These six games are going to determine the outcome of your 2021 season. There's no question in my mind about that. And why do I say that? Because the Tampa Bay Rays right now, they are the class of the division. The Orioles, they know they're not going anywhere. They know that they're rebuilding. They've got nothing to play for. So they're like, hey, we're here and we're here to bring chaos. We're here to make your life a living hell this weekend. So sit back, relax. Here we go. That's the Orioles mentality. If you think I'm joking, go back to the beginning of the season. The first three games, yeah, they knew that they weren't going to be a good team, that this wasn't a team that was built to win, but they competed. And bottom feeders, especially in divisional play, are the most dangerous. They are the most dangerous because they know they've got nothing to play for. Like, what are we doing here? Let's not pretend that, 
Oh, well, the Red Sox, we've got it all figured out. We, we got this whole thing under control. Do you? Because one of the major questions that I now have is, how good is this Boston Red Sox team? Or how overrated is this Boston Red Sox team? Because baseball is the type of sport in which that if you're playing well above your heads, you do tend to show who you really are at some point, especially over the course of 162 games. If you're truly a good team, a great team, you don't allow the lack of moves at the at the trade deadline to impact how your club plays. And there is a team that does come to mind when I when I mention this. A team that most recently had a terrific season before we found out what was really going on, and that is the 2017 Houston Astros. Because if you may remember, the Astros in 2017, prior to the trade deadline, they were the best team in baseball at that time. Again, we obviously know the truth about that 2017 Astros team, but let's look back in hindsight. The Astros players were angry that improvements were not made at the trade deadline, and they let their feelings be known. So what does front office do? They went out and they got Justin Verlander. And we all know how that ended up for the Houston Astros. They went on to win the World Series. But the point is, you look at this Red Sox team right now. Front office, they don't believe in this team. Let's call it for what it is. They didn't go out and make any real significant moves. Oh, they went out and and they added Kyle Schwarber. Oh, by the way, Kyle Schwarber had a minor setback. So he's not going to be back in the immediate future. How does that sit with you, honestly? And then you go out and you get Hanson Robles. Woo! Waving the white pom-pom. What does that do for the Red Sox in the immediate future? future so now what you're doing is you're putting all your hopes on the arms of chris sale expecting that he's going to be the savior of this team for the remaining stretch especially the deeper we go into august ladies and gentlemen that's a recipe for disaster i don't think putting all your hopes on the arm of chris sale a guy that hasn't been healthy in two years who's coming off tommy john expecting him to give this ball club some sort of a spark and a kick, I don't think it's going to work. He's just a piece of a bigger problem with this team right now. A healthy Chris Sale, can he help? Sure. But is he going to solve the Red Sox problems right now? No. I don't think so. Which is why these next couple of weeks, but especially this week in particular, the six games that they have coming up, could very well determine their season. Because right now, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, the Yankees, they're not going away. They're not going away. And the Toronto Blue Jays, as you just saw this past weekend, they're not going anywhere. Those two ball clubs 
are chasing you down and they're coming fast. And the Rays, we know who they are now. That is a team that continues to figure all things out as they go along during this season, even when they trade away their ace, Blake Snell. But this is a pretty terrific Tampa Bay team that's coming into town, and the Red Sox are reeling. If this team loses two out of three to the Tampa Bay Rays, now this team really would be furthermore into trouble. And if you're not firing the sirens by now, you may want to start doing that in the coming days if this team does not right the ship. Coming up next, I hate to have this conversation, but I'm going to have this conversation because this is completely warranted. I'm going to tell you exactly what this is. Coming up next, right here on the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford. This is Shukri Wright. You're listening to 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I want to be a football stadium. When I grow up, I want to be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I want to be a fancy backsplash. I, I want to be a bike that races around the when country. When I grow up, I want to be a bench on a forest when I trail. Grow up, I want to be a rocking chair on when a sunny I up, porch. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be a... I want to be a... I want to be a... I want to be I want to be a... When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. Can you tell if the surfaces in this kitchen are crawling with bacteria that could cause chronic arthritis? Listen. Can't, can you? You can't see it either. Wash surfaces, utensils, and hands frequently with soapy water while preparing food, especially when handling raw meats or eggs. Raw food may contain bacteria that can make you very sick or worse. One in six Americans will get sick from food poisoning this year, and roughly 3,000 will die. But you can keep your family safer by cleaning with soap and water as you go. Learn more about this and other important information. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. That's foodsafety.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. If you came across someone struggling with hunger... How would you recognize them? By their clothes, their age, the way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. 
People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hungered in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. John, we can't keep putting this off. Okay, I'll clean the gutters. I'm talking about your dad. Well, what can we do? He wants to stay in his house. We can make his house safer. Yeah, I worry about the steps. Perfect world, there are no steps, but he does have steps. And that banister only goes halfway up. And all those little throw rugs are falls waiting to happen. So what about his prescription meds? If he forgets and takes them twice, he could get really dizzy. Right. We could get him one of those daily pill counters. And he should have some sturdy hand grips in the bathroom and shower. This is all easy to do. You know he's a proud guy. He's not going to take all our fussing lying down. That's the idea. For older people, falling and breaking a hip can be devastating. For more tips on making homes safer, visit orthoinfo.org falls. A message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and the Orthopedic Trauma Association. Now please clean the gutters. Just be careful on the ladder. Welcome back to the Sugar Right Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford Street from Radio Streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. Glad you're able to join the program on this Wednesday morning, August 11, 2021. As always, you can listen to this program and all additional to Shukri Vice Show 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford, on demand on the Shukri Vice Show on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcast. The Shukri Vice Podcast is the home of the Shukri Vice Show on 91.5 WMFO in Medford, on demand after its original airing, which is Wednesday mornings from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., also the home of The Shoe, with Shukri Writes, my national syndicated sports talk show on Pacifica Radio Network. It's also on demand on iHeartRadio as well. That is where you can find my on-air content talking all things sports. Now, during the last segment, I mentioned that I want to have a conversation I did not want to have. And that conversation is pertaining to the Boston Red Sox and why things have gotten so bad regarding the team during the stretch. Because I'm not going to sit here and pretend that everything is okay with the world, everything is kumbaya and so forth, when there are issues that are plaguing this team and that extensively We need to have a talk. We need to have a discussion. As I talked about extensively during the first segment, there are several things that is wrong with the Boston Red Sox currently that is causing them to really fall apart at the seams, seemingly. And I want to go over with you just three of those points that I think that is causing the Boston Red Sox to fall apart at a time where they can ill afford to fall apart especially given that they've been losing ground in the standings. First and foremost, let's talk about Gary Richards and Martin Perez. Because the Red Sox, the way that I look at it is that the Red Sox don't have rotation. They, they have not been good as a whole in the second half of the season. But if you are going to go by the old baseball adage of you're only as good as your next day starting pitcher, This applies to the Boston Red Sox. 
And the issue with the Boston Red Sox is, is that they're not as good as the next day starting pitcher, which unfortunately has done more harm than good. They're not getting innings. They're not getting length. And when you talk about Garrett Richards and Martin Perez, those two guys have been one of the chief problems with the rotation for the Boston Red Sox. You want to know what their combined ERA is? 7.71. That's right. 7.71. And as I talked about in the previous segment, there's a reason why that Martin Perez is no longer in the rotation. And rightfully so. When you look at Martin Perez and the fact that you've now seen this on a, on a few occasions already in which that he seems to get off on these roles where he looks like one of the best starting pitchers in the American League, yet he goes into a tailspin where he seemingly loses control and seemingly loses, loses all sorts of experience as to how to pitch. You've seen this too many times now with the guy. And unfortunately, that's an issue. And that's really been a major issue because Red Sox starters, not named Garrett Richards or Martin Perez, they have a collected 4.31 on run average since the All-Star break. That's not going to get it done. And especially when you're in a division that is offensive heavy with the Tampa Bay Rays. Yes, even the Tampa Bay Rays, I want to throw into that equation. The New York Yankees, obviously, and the Toronto Blue Jays. That's not going to get the job done. And then, here's what makes matters worse. Garrett Richards and Martin Perez, they've been giving up exactly that. And then between the two pitchers, they have surrendered almost 44% of the hits. And then to make matters worse, they have allowed 47% of their earned runs allowed by the starting rotation since the All-Star break. 47%, that's basically nearly half of the earned runs that's been allowed by the Red Sox starting rotation, those two men have allowed. So, yeah, that's no shock right there. That's no shock as to why the Red Sox find themselves in the position that they're in. And I said it in the last segment, and, I, and I'll say it again. They needed reinforcement. They needed help in the starting rotation. But I'm not very high on the idea of relying on Chris Sale too heavily. That's the problem. And I'm telling you right now, if Chris Sale struggles at any given point when he returns, especially given that he's returning this Saturday against the Baltimore Orioles, now you're done. You're done. Because the idea and the notion that you're going to rely on a guy that has a pitch in the major leagues in two years to salvage your season, especially from the pitching side, is borderline comedy. It just doesn't work. But as far as Gary Richards and Martin Perez is concerned, Alice Cora made the right move because, listen, if Martin Perez can't survive more than an inning against the Detroit Tigers of all teams... It was time to remove him from the start of rotation. There's no getting around that. Like, are you kidding me? I, you can't survive more than an inning against a Detroit Tiger team with all the respect to Jonathan Scope and the future Hall of Famer Miguel Cabrera. They're filling a AAA lineup down in Detroit right now. And then also, 
the next day, Martin Perez pitched better. He had more velocity in his pitches, especially his fastball, most notably. As for how that would help him be more effective coming out of the bullpen down the line, especially should this team make it to October, that remains to be seen. But that's just one issue in particular that really has stood out. But the next issue is probably the most damning of all. We talk about the Red Sox and offensively how I personally did not have any issues or worries or concern for the Red Sox offense going into the year. But goodness grief, and I do mean goodness grief, in the second half, the Red Sox batting average with runners in scoring position have been absolutely putrid. Check this out. They're batting 201 with runners in scoring position. And, and a part that makes it even worse is this. There's only two teams in the league that have hit worse with runners in scoring position than the Red Sox. And guess who those two teams are? The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and the Texas Rangers. And neither one of those two teams are anywhere near the postseason. And look what the Red Sox are doing right now. And then, oh, by the way, another stat I want to put out there, the collective WRC plus of 63 doesn't rank much better, which, by the way, they rank 27th in that stat in Major League Baseball since the All-Star break, and just ahead of the Texas Rangers, the New York Yankees, and the Cleveland Indians, according to Fangraph. And I've been watching a lot of the Red Sox games since the All-Star break, and I really wanted to take notice of something that I was beginning to really notice that was beginning to really concern me. The offensive trend, it just seemed like they didn't have that same offensive pop that they had during the first half, during the second half of the season. It was around mid-July that I made it a point that I was going to watch a lot more of the Red Sox to pay close attention as to what was going on. Because when you have a feeling about a team and, and something beginning to go awry, you begin to search for answers as to what it possibly could be. But there was a stat that I found that proved what my feeling was and how correct I was. But I didn't know how bad it was in terms of the Red Sox offensive struggles during the second half. And that is the Red Sox are currently tied for 24th in Major League Baseball with the St. Louis Cardinals and the Kansas City Royals, two non-playoff teams in run scored since July 16th. And the part that makes it stunning about this is that you expected the Boston Red Sox to be a better offensive team than what they have currently put forth since the start of the second half. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, I expected them to be a better offensive team after all. This is a team that has Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt in the middle of the lineup. But offensively, they have not gotten it done in 2021 either. So the Red Sox, their inability to hit with runners in scoring position, their inability to score runs has helped put them in this spot. So the first two points, just to give you the overview, is Martin Perez and Gary Richards. Combined ERA, 7.71. Second point that I really want to make you talk about offense, Red Sox are struggling hitting with runners in scoring position. Hitting 201 
as a team since the All-Star break. And then one more point that I really want to make before I go to break is the war, the wins above replacement. I know that personally I'm not the biggest analytics guy, but this one, this one is very telling. And I do mean very, very telling. If you go back to the All-Star break and you go back to the first half, the Red Sox, they had the fifth best win above replacement in baseball. In the second half, they've been a bottom 10 team. And the worst part about it, that should alarm you. If you look at the offensive wins above replacement, they are a negative 6.1, which is 22nd in Major League Baseball. And, and that's a complete utter contrast in comparison to where they were during the first half when they were 7th overall in Major League Baseball. So the question now becomes, why such a dramatic drop-off offensively? What happened? What's led to this, this dramatic drop in wins and as well as offensive struggle that has plagued this team in the second half? And the part that I look at when it comes to the Boston Red Sox is this. I look at this team currently and I say, is this team beginning to come back to earth? And I mentioned this during the first segment. And I, after going through the numbers, really believe that this team is coming back to what many people around the league expected the Boston Red Sox to be at the start of the season. So in layman's terms, they have come back to earth. They've come back to being the team that everyone realistically expected them to be. But how can they fix that? That's the question. How can they turn this around? They're obviously going to have to start hitting with runners in scoring position again. That's number one. But the pitching is what really worries me. Because if Garrett Richards is to follow Martin Perez into the bullpen, that now means that you have two starters that are in the bullpen with only Chris Sale returning back to action this weekend that's going to take the place of either Martin Perez or Garrett Richards. But also Tanner Hoek. Tanner Hoek is a guy that, let's be honest, what do you realistically expect out of him if he were to get the call back up to the big league club from AAA Worcester? What's, what's the realistic chances of him being an impact starter in the Red Sox rotation, especially as his team marches towards October? Those are some important questions to ask and important topics to really dive deep into because the Red Sox struggles, they're not just surface level. It is a lot deeper. And as I went through this entire segment, breaking down some of the big reasons why the Red Sox have struggled mightily in the second half, these are the reasons. Not only the numbers don't lie, but if you watch the games and you see that they are leaving a lot of runners on base, this eventually bodes disastrous because you don't have a dominant rotation that can pitch its way around 
an offense that can only score maybe, what, two, three runs the most? That's just the reality. They don't have that kind of rotation. And even with the return of Chris Hill in the next few days, I'm honestly not sure. I am genuinely not sure how much of a help is he going to be once he returns to the Red Sox rotation. It was a conversation I did not want to have to have with you as it pertains to the Boston Red Sox. But I needed to really elaborate on everything that I was rounding about during the first segment. And during this segment, I wanted to make sure that I gave you concrete information, concrete stats for those that haven't been watching the Red Sox closely to really give you an an understanding as to why the Red Sox are where they are now. And that this is deeper than Heimblum not making any moves at the trade deadline. Coming up next, I want to give you some of my thoughts on the NFL Hall of Fame induction weekend. That plus an interesting thought on the first week of preseason games for all 32 teams across the NFL. That and much more coming up next right here. On the Shukri Ray Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. You're listening to 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. Touch free form radio. Streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app. Globally on WMFO.org. And as well as on demand on iHeartRadio. The United States has the highest rate of incarceration in the world. At the Equal Justice Initiative, we believe mass incarceration has to end. That we have to create a system that's fair, reliable, and just. There are thousands of innocent people in our jails and prisons. It's time for change. We still live in a country where there is this presumption of dangerousness and guilt that gets assigned to black and brown people. It created laws that legally segregated black people, marginalized them, deprived them of basic opportunities. We're not free in this country. We're burdened by a long history of slavery. We developed a narrative that black people aren't as good as white people. We have to confront our history of racial injustice and commit to a new era of truth. There's something better waiting for us. There's something that feels more like equality, something that feels more like freedom. Truth can inspire change. Please learn more at EJI.org. Chris, can you put the video game controller down for a second? I can talk and play. Oh, I'm totally annihilating this punk kid in Nebraska. I just feel like you're not acting like a grown-up in our relationship. Am too, am too. Well, you know, you still ride your skateboard to work. There's the comic book collection, the race car bed. Look, I'm young at heart, but I put money to my 401k every paycheck. I picked up a few savings tips at feedthepig.org. I have control of my financial life now, and that feels pretty grown up. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. For free ideas and easy tips on ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. So, I bet I look like a grown up to you now. Well, except for the footy pajamas, I'd have to agree. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford, Tuskegee from Radio Streaming Nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. Glad you're able to tune into the program this morning on this Wednesday morning. Hopefully you are having a great start to your Wednesday. And it's been a Red Sox heavy show. Spent the first segment talking about the Red Sox and where they are. Basically a near rant, if you will. But I don't know if you want to classify it as that. But that's entirely up to you. But the second segment was really diving deep into the struggles of the Boston Red Sox in the second half as it's gotten to the point where it's time to be alarmed. If you weren't alarmed before, that is, it's time to really panic. But this segment, I'm going to talk about the NFL Hall of Fame weekend induction that that just passed by. And it was a star-studded class because, for me, you see some of these players. You see guys like Peyton Manning, Alan Fanica, Troy Palomalu, Calvin Johnson. I mean, goodness grief. Those are guys that I literally spent my teenage years watching dominate on the football field. And to see them get their yellow jackets and to be ducted into the Hall of Fame is truly amazing in its own right. The Hall of Fame class of 2020 were as follows. By the way, eight of them are posthumously inducted. And these are the eight men that were posthumously inducted into the Hall of Fame. Bobby Dillon, Winston Hill, Alice Karras, Steve Sable, Duke Slater, Max Speedy, 
Ed Sprinkle, and George Young. The other 12 that were inducted and that did speak on Saturday night, Troy Palomalu, Cliff Harris, Steve Atwater, Paul Tagliabue, Steve Hutchinson, Don Shell, Isaac Bruce, Jimbo Covert, Edgerman James, Harold Carmichael, Jimmy Johnson, and Bill Cower. I want to start with the class of 2021 before I get to the class of 2021. Here are my memories of Bill Cower. Man, Bill Cower was that guy with the with the, the rugged chin, the, the butt chin, and the mustache when he was in Pittsburgh, especially I remember when I first started watching football and he was the head coach, and you had Jerome Bettis, and as well as, yeah, Plaxico Burris, this is like the early 2000s. Um, I remember those Steeler teams quite well. And he was that guy that I always really loved watching coach. And he just had this calm yet intense passion about him coaching those great Steeler teams, especially those 2004 and 2005 Pittsburgh teams that that were just flat-out dominant. But especially the 2005 Steelers that won the Super Bowl, and he was the head coach of that team. And I really enjoyed watching him coach up the defense that was led by Troy Palomalu, um, Joey Porter, um, and, and 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 those were just some of the the most memorable guys that I remember on the defensive side of the ball. But obviously, offensively, you can't talk about um, the offense without Willie Parker, Jerome Bettis, Ben Roethlisberger was a second year quarterback at the time, and like th- those were some fun Pittsburgh Steelers teams to watch every Sunday. And Ezra and James, I mean, goodness grief, it truly is a shame that Ezra and James left before he could get a Super Bowl. Because most people tend to forget that Ezra and James was part of some really, really good Indianapolis Colts teams in the early, mid-2000s that involved, obviously, Peyton Manning when he was winning NFL MVPs left and right, hyperbole speaking. And as well as you talk about teams that also had Dallas Clark or Brandon Stokely, Oh, Jeff Saturday on the offensive line. I mean, those those were the days. Like Ezra and James was that dude in the backfield that I absolutely love watching run the ball. Like he just had this uh, th- this presence where he was not afraid to run the contact, and he, in fact, he was willing to go the extra yard or two just to get that first down. And then Troy Palomalu, goodness grief. There are two, and I mean two safeties, that define my generation. And when I say my generation, I was born in 91. So I remember watching a lot of football in the early and mid-2000s on, and there were only two safeties in my mind that truly defined the era in which I watched football. That was Troy Palomalu. That's one. And then the other one was Ed Reed of the Baltimore Ravens. That's two. That's it. And then Troy Palomalo with the with the the long hair, and you talk about the, remember those those head and shoulders commercials that he did back back when. But on the field, that man was an absolute savage. 
He loved to hit. And did he ever. He brought a ferociousness to the safety position. And it almost made him look like he wanted to play linebacker at times. And that was just because of how hard he hit. And that was his style of play. But Paul Tagliabue, I mean, this was the guy that I spent about half of my life remembering him as the commissioner of the NFL. You talk about a guy who really was responsible for helping grow the game in the 90s and early 2000s into what it is now, especially the NFL Network. I I really believe that Paul Tagliabue had a lot to do with the forming of the NFL Network, by the way, that launched in 2003 under his watch. And you talk about Tagliabue, he was there for a lot of unforgettable drafts that happened under his tenure, the 1998 draft. I'm sure we all remember, but especially the 2004 draft. I mean, which at this point, the legacy is 100% cemented as one of the three or four greatest quarterback draft classes of all time. 2004, 1983, and I would even I would even include um 98 because of Peyton Manning. And I know someone out there is probably like, "Wait, wait, wait, hold up. Really? 98? Ryan Leaf considering considering obviously we know that Ryan Leaf was an absolute bust and he's probably one of the top one or two <laughs> buses number one buses of all time in NFL history alongside Jamarcus Russell but that's another story for another day but Payne Manning literally threatened to kick Indianapolis Colts' behind if they didn't draft him for the following 15 years I mean that 98 draft was, was truly something to watch but that is class of 2020 and i'll be the first to tell you that that was a that's a pretty impressive class as far as the class of 2021 goes the inductees were Peyton manning kevin johnson charles woodson john lynch alan fanica drew pearson who played for the dallas cowboys in the 70s as well as tom flores who coached the raiders and the seahawks and contributor bill nunn who was a scout for the Pittsburgh steelers now, as far as the class of 2021 goes, I mean, goodness grief. There are one, two, three, four, five players that I vividly remember watching play in my lifetime. Payne Manning, Calvin Johnson, Charles Woodson, John Lynch, Alan Fanica. In fact, I'm going to start with John Lynch because I remember him mostly when he's with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he was part of that 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that won the Super Bowl and is voted as one of the top five greatest defenses of all time. That is the 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. For the younger audience that may not know or, or too young to remember, this defense was absolutely loaded. You had, which is now three Hall of Famers on that defense. Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks being the other one, and now John Lynch to safety. I mean, the, that defense was truly something very special to watch. And the head coach at the time was none other than John Gruden. Alan Fanica, I remember watching. He was with the Steelers. And then later on with the Jets and Cardinals. But most memorably for me was with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New York Jets. 
he was truly one of the best offensive linemen that I've seen play in my lifetime. Him and Kevin Mawai, those two. And in terms of the quarterback, oh, man, Peyton Manning. Where, where on earth do I even start with this guy? Peyton Manning, for me, was the first superstar quarterback that I watched that I remember him going through different phases in his career. I remember his Indianapolis years. I remember how great he was then. Even in 2003, 2004, he suffered playoff losses back-to-back years to the New England Patriots and those teams that would go on to win the Super Bowl. There was no denying that Peyton Manning was already at an all-time great clip in terms of performance, in terms of touchdown passes, passing yards, everything, you name it. But obviously, there was a big stigma attached to his name and that he couldn't win the big one. For the longest of time, he could not win the big game, and that was a criticism that even I had as I grew up listening and watching Mike and Mike in the morning talk about this on the, on the national radio areas growing up as a teenager. Peyton Manning can't win the big one. And when he finally broke through in 2006, winning Super Bowl 41, beating the Chicago Bears in which he won Super Bowl MVP honors, it was like he finally got himself a Super Bowl. Excellent. And then that fateful 2011 season in which that he had that neck surgery in which that he missed the entire 2011 season in which that the Colts that year, they, they absolutely tanked. They tanked for Andrew Luck. And I remember watching the press conference in which he announced that he was going to be signing with the Denver Broncos. And I remember all, all the hoops that came along with it. Payne Manning, a Denver Bronco. And then 2013, his record-setting offensive performance in the 2013 season with the 55 touchdown passes, only to get his rear end kicked by the Seattle Seahawks in Super Bowl 48. And two years later, having that plantar fasciitis injury, which forced him to retire, and he was really a shell of himself by the time he got to the 2015 season. And he played to the best of his capabilities. But let's be honest, the defense carried him. That playoff run, that 2015 run, in which that he announced that this was going to be it. But Payne Manning was someone who I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed watching his passion, his intensity for football. And how can we forget Omaha? Omaha! Omaha, how we all used to watch football on Sundays and you would hear him yell out Omaha, Omaha, Omaha to no end. And that that's something that I absolutely miss. I remember watching the 2015 AFC title game uh, between my Patriots, our Patriots and the Denver Broncos and CBS. You can hear it on the mics. Like you can hear him yelling out the the cadences and the and the and the play calls at the line of scrimmage. You can hear Peyton say Omaha, Omaha, and it's like, oh man, you missed that. But Megatron, Megatron, oh my gosh, 
That dude arguably had the greatest nine-year career of any receiver in NFL history. And it truly is a shame that he retired at age 30 because of the franchise he played for. It really is a shame because Megatron for nine years stretch was the best receiver in football, hands down, period. He absolutely was everything that you can ask for and dream dream for out of an NFL wide receiver. He had size. He had speed. Man, he had the best hands. He had it all. And the truth is, because of the organization that he played for, he knew that he'd have no other choice but to walk away, and it was a shame. It really was. But, man, I, I really loved watching Kevin Johnson play, especially whenever he would go up against the Packers and Charles Woodson. Who Charles Woodson was for sure, my, I would say, the third best safety in my generation. And I talk about two of them earlier in this segment and Ed Reed and Troy Palomalo, but Charles Woodson's the third best of, of my generation. And with that being said, I'm going to switch over to Final Thoughts, which is brought to you by yours truly, Shukarich, right here on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. I want to talk about an incident that took place in Denver in which there were hot mics that were picking up on a fan who was previously thought to have been screaming the N-word. And as a result... That video and that clip went viral and it sparked a outrage, rather, of people who absolutely were angry. And myself included. I was very upset. I was very angry. And when it turned out that he was yelling for the Rockies mascot, Dinger, quite a few people were rather relieved. And someone, someone of course, on social media, because you know how Twitter is, Twitter being the cesspool that it is of people who don't want to be told anything and people that feel that they can say whatever they want to say because they don't have any consequences to suffer. Some of them go, wow, like you really wanted him to be racist so bad, didn't you? It's like, wow, you really you, you, you really are so shook that that you don't want anyone to call out call, call out race, racism or anything like that. Was it a reach? Not necessarily considering what we saw and what we heard. However, the truth is, if you learn not to be a racist prick, maybe you wouldn't have this problem. And also the Colorado Rockies, you really should consider changing the mascot name from Dinger to something else that's not associated with the N-word. That would be a great help and a great idea, especially for marketing. After what happened, that'd be smart. And don't sit here and tell me the BS of, oh, well, this is going to be a long process. No, no, stop it. Cut it out. You're dragging your feet because you know damn well that you don't want to do it. I rest my case. And with that being said, it's been a pleasure to be here with you this morning on the Sugar Ride Show on 91.5 FM WMFO as we inch towards 8 o'clock a.m., Hope you have a great rest of your Wednesday. And this is Shukri Rights. You are listening to 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford Tufts Freeform Radio 
I'll be back with you again next week. Holla, hit me up on Twitter at Shukurites, at S-H-U-K-R-I-W-R-I-G-H-T-S. Hit me up on there. I'll talk to you again later. Peace.